This is Self Work, and I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. At Self Work, we'll discuss psychological and emotional issues common in today's world and what to do about them. I'm Dr. Margaret, and Self Work is a podcast dedicated to you taking just a few minutes today for your own self work. Hello, and thanks for being my guest on Self-Work today. I'm Dr. Margaret Rutherford. I'm a clinical psychologist. I've been in private practice for 25 years in Fayetteville, Arkansas. And I started podcasting two years ago because I wanted to extend the walls of my practice to those who might already be interested in therapy or psychology, but also to those who might be starting their journey with anxiety and depression and really not know much about it. They've never been to therapy, never considered going to therapy, so I wanted to reach out to you as well, just so you would know a little bit about at least the way I approach doing therapeutic work. I want to thank those of you who've left ratings. There have been a lot of them since we recorded episode 100, which was such fun, and I want to thank you for those. Please know that I am very motivated by ratings and reviews, of course, And those help me stay focused because I know that people are enjoying it and learning from it and maybe even using it in their own therapy. I've also learned that there's several therapists who are listening to this who not only are talking about how it's helping them as people, but how they're passing on the information to their own clients. So that really, really honors me and pleases me. Today, we're going to be talking about how do I feel my feelings Three things that get in the way and nine ways to explore what to do. Again, my slogan is what you can do about it, right? You'd be surprised perhaps how many people have trouble with connecting with their feelings. I've talked a lot on this podcast about a book I'm writing on perfectly hidden depression. And certainly those folks have many intense feelings just very well hidden away. But it's not only in perfectly hidden depression that this problem with not just with connection but with allowing emotions into your world. Then, of course, there are people that are governed almost completely by what they feel, and that's not what you want either. That's a real problem. But I get asked quite frequently, how do I feel my feelings? Now, I'm not talking about what's termed alexithymia. This is a disorder whose core characteristics are trouble with emotional awareness, social attachment, and they just don't relate well to other people. But this isn't about alexithymia. It's just about people who can't seem to allow their feelings to be expressed. They're aware they have them, but they struggle to actually feel them. The listener email today is from what she terms an alpha female, and it's about how she's attracted to men that she can neither have or that she can control. It's really a fascinating email, so I hope you'll stick around. So today we're going to be talking about emotions and connecting with them. I'm so glad you're here. And let's get started. Being able to safely connect with feelings, no matter what they are, is a skill. Whatever the reason for that problem, whether you were told as a child that feelings were nonsense and so you began living in your head and intellectualizing everything... Maybe you didn't feel safe enough to express your emotions in the family you grew up in or the family you're in now. Or perhaps you began building a facade of the perfect-looking life where messy feelings didn't exist. That's the perfectly hidden depression I was talking about in the intro. But there are many paths to being cut off from feelings. 
I can't tell you how many times I've watched someone in therapy on the verge of letting go, of allowing some emotion to surface, only to quickly blink it away and then awkwardly change the subject. I think there are three major things that can get in the way of connecting with feelings. First, you might hear yourself say, I don't want to look weak. Many people associate showing emotion with weakness or being out of control. Take crying, for example. I happen to believe strongly that tears represent intensity. Whether you cry when you're mad, cry when you feel joyful, or cry when you feel sad, to me it's about the depth of feeling that you have, or perhaps the sensitivity you have to a certain issue. But changing your belief system about all this can help you risk feeling some kind of vulnerability. Then you might hear yourself say, I don't feel, I figure things out. You notice the brusque way I'm saying that, like someone with no feelings. <laughs> so this second thing, staying in your head, mentally analyzing everything and everybody isn't connecting with yourself or with anyone else. Your mind can stay so busy, you can distract yourself with so many tasks that you put up huge roadblocks for feelings. In fact, you can talk about a feeling rather than ever actually allowing it to be expressed. For example, I'll have couples in my office say, you know, getting divorced really scares me, or they'll say the opposite, getting divorced doesn't scare me. Then I can give them the assignment to go home, sit down with this spouse they're so unhappy with, and plan their divorce. That's a whole other thing and brings up often all kinds of emotions. Sometimes those emotions are welcome. And it's a relief to be having the discussion. Other times they come back in and say, there's no way we can get a divorce. We just can't do it. But they had to get to the emotion before they would not hide behind what their mind was telling them. Or you're perhaps someone that's decided that emotions get in the way of making good decisions. So it's far better to stay rational, as if feeling something makes you irrational. There's a whole concept of what's called emotional intelligence. I don't know if you heard about that. There have been books written about it. But it's now well recognized that feeling states such as curiosity, passion, determining the difference between wants and needs can actually lead to great decisions and choices. So deciding that emotions get in the way of making good decisions, nah, you're just kind of hiding behind that. Then the third thing I sometimes hear is, I don't have the time to tune into myself. Your body often gives you clues that emotions are occurring and are important. Your heart may race, your stomach may tighten, or the opposite. With more positive emotion, you may feel tension glide off of you or your breathing can calm. But you can also dissociate or separate your mind from your body. You don't stop to listen anymore what your body or your heart or whatever is telling you, and you don't even take the time to think, Gosh, I'm feeling something. Where am I feeling it? Do I feel it in my gut, my throat, my heart? And of course, you can use substances like alcohol or weed to mute your feelings so that they remain out of your reach. So, what can you do to feel? If any of these things apply to you or someone you know, then what can you or they do? How do you get to those pesky feelings? Here's number one. Being still and in the present moment is the first step. Close your eyes. There are no distractions, no TV, no iPad. Then ask yourself, what am I feeling in this very moment? See 
what your mind and heart bring to the table. Give it time and space. Literally, you can set a timer on whatever device is your personal favorite. And then after two or three minutes, what emotions are there? It could be confusion, fear, joy, disappointment, anger, contentment, sadness, shame, all kinds of emotions. But you have to be still to be able to allow them to emerge. Here's the second step. Then you ask yourself, have I been scared to feel this? After what you've identified you've been scared to feel or what you may have told yourself you shouldn't feel, you stay in that moment. It will bring with it some discomfort. You're allowing yourself to do something that you may never have done or haven't done in years. But the very discomfort is a sign that you're stretching your boundaries, that you're allowing yourself to grow. Maybe you've been scared to feel anger or scared to feel even joy. If you hang in there with it, perhaps that discomfort will lead you to understanding more of what you've been frightened of. Here's a third step. You can use journaling to help feel things more deeply. There's something about writing things down in black and white that can be incredibly moving and affirming of your own worth and value. So just take the time to write about what you're feeling or what you're wanting to feel or wanting to connect with. Here's the fourth step. Try stepping into a less dramatic emotion first, like sadness over something fairly minor, but then really sit with it, allow it, ask yourself questions about it. Where do you feel it in your body? What color is it? Does it move or is it still? Perhaps you want to draw it, give it shape and substance. You allow yourself to connect with it in as many ways as possible. This may sound a little new agey to you. I remember doing a meditation retreat back in Little Rock, Arkansas in my 20s, and we did something kind of like this, and I can remember sensing that whatever this feeling was that I was having, that it was purple. And I decided at that moment that purple was actually my favorite color, and it has been my favorite color ever since. But at the time, it was a very warm kind of acknowledgement that my purple feeling was, you know, where it was and how it existed in my heart. Again, perhaps a little too new agey for some of you, but perhaps for others of you, it's a great idea. Here's number five. It might help to express the feeling physically. Go out and scream in the woods or safely shatter glass against a concrete wall or sing at the top of your lungs or whisper something out loud for the first time that you never thought you'd utter. What you're doing is using your body and all of your senses to connect with that emotion's presence. I've had people do a lot of this, especially with anger. You can go to... Hobby Lobby or some place even cheaper than that and go get some glass jars, find an old brick wall out in the country, take a broom, <laughs> and then just smash the heck out of the glass. There's something about the sound of that shattering that can really help you get in touch with being really pissed off. Here's number six. Download a list of emotions to help you identify what exactly you're feeling. Some of you are so distant and detached from emotion that you really don't even know what to call them. You can use this list to help you identify what exactly you're feeling. This happens more than you might realize, especially in families where the children were taught to not express their emotions. They never learned as children 
what those words were that described what they were feeling. But you can learn that as an adult. There are websites such as therapistaid.com where you can download such a list. Number seven is definitely action-oriented as well. You join a therapy group or form a support group of your own. That can be immensely helpful. There's nothing like meeting people who are dedicated to being honest, to being open, and to searching for what will help them move forward that will help you in your own process. The group members will have your back, but they may also point out things to you that you may be missing, like perhaps you're avoiding a certain feeling, or maybe there's a difference between your nonverbal communication and what you actually say. You can find national groups like Adult Children of Alcoholics, it's called ACOA, or local therapists or churches that may be running groups for people who've been abused or neglected, people who are grieving, divorcing, or simply about self-development, and you can reach out. The eighth step is to watch movies that pull for emotions, and there are a ton of them. Everything from Dead Poet Society to The Impossible to The Color Purple to Room. You can listen to music, Samuel Barber's Adagio for Strings, Always leads me to my sadness and grief. Pick up that piece of music. It's incredible. Samuel Barber's Adagio, that's A-D-A-G-I-O, for strings. Country musics are really good about this. I cannot hear Miranda Lambert's The House That Built Me without getting kind of teary-eyed. Or Trace Atkins' You're Gonna Miss This. I don't know if rock and roll or rap has the equivalent, but perhaps they do. And the last is to seek out calming touch and physical release. An author named Bessel van der Kolk in The Body Keeps the Score reminds us of the importance of touch to help soothe our emotions and at times even lead to feeling them more deeply. And I'm quoting here, Touch, the most elementary tool we have to calm down, is prescribed from most therapeutic practices. Yet you can't fully recover if you don't feel safe in your skin. Therefore, I encourage all my patients to engage in some sort of body work, be it therapeutic massage, Feldenkrais, or craniosacral therapy. This kind of work can be especially important for trauma victims, but really for anyone. I had someone do the Alexander technique on me many, many years ago, and her hands weren't even touching my body. And when she put them over my back, I began crying, and I didn't know why what was going on? Her explanation was that somehow that part of my body was holding an intense emotion. It wasn't necessarily sadness, but it caught me off guard. I'm not really a crier, so it really caught me off guard. So don't forget about the importance of touch. I hope these suggestions have been helpful. Again, emotions can be a guide to what you need to pay attention to, what you need to heal sometimes what you need to protect yourself from. And if you can't express them, if you can't connect with them, then you can miss those very, very important signals and cues. Good luck to you. Here's our listener email for today. She says, Thank you for your podcasts. They have challenged me to think in ways I wouldn't and see things in a new light. I'm so happy about that. I want to start out stating that I've never spoken to a therapist, but think I may need to start. I'm a 33-year-old woman, confident, independent. I have amazing friends and family, 
and career. I've only been in one serious relationship that began in high school and lasted into my late 20s. I've been single for years, only dating for a few months here and there, and I've always ultimately ended it because I felt confident the person wasn't for me. I am an alpha female and work in an environment with mostly males. Through self-reflection, I've found I've always been attracted to men I knew I couldn't be with. I've been in my longest relationship as an adult for several months with someone who is perfect on paper and in person. He's nice, caring, thoughtful, smart, friendly, (laughs) good-looking. My friends and family love him. But I think I intimidate him, and he's such an agreeable person, it allows me to take control of every situation. Everything we do revolves around my life, my job, my friends and family. I call all the shots. I've always felt that I need someone to challenge me a little, someone who has their own stuff going on. But I don't know if I'm being too critical or if ultimately this person is never going to be what I need. I don't feel the connection I've been searching for, and I don't know if it's because I'm not open or if he's just not right for me. I'm struggling with the pressure from my friends and family to stay in the relationship, but I'm trying to stay true to me as well as being fair to him. How do I know if my past has caused me to not allow a connection or if this is just part of life? Thank you. I've never written anything like this before, and even this helped me to take a deep breath. You know, I was so struck by that last sentence because I think a lot of times when you reach out for the first time, it truly is like you're sighing a huge breath of relief just to let go of some problem or some issue you're having, and to ask for help. So here goes. Here's my answer. Obviously, you're welcome for the podcasts, and I'm delighted that they're meaningful for you. I've seen many women and men just like what you're describing, people who are attracted either to others who aren't right or who aren't truly available and will likely never be. It can become another challenge. I'll show them what love is really like or something like that. When you say you're attracted to men who you knew you couldn't be with, I'm not sure if they were married or otherwise committed, or they're your boss or supervisor, your best friend's ex. The problem here may likely be an avoidance of real or authentic intimacy. Anger and disagreement is part of a healthy relationship. It's even part of intimacy. The man you're with now may be an avoider as well. He may actually be that laid back. But if he doesn't share his own expectations or desires, I'm not sure how you could really experience intimacy with him. He may be frightened of rejection, whatever. I'm not sure from afar. If you care about him, the two of you might seek help or therapy. But if he's happy, then he might not see the problem. You know, now off the email, (laughs) sometimes I can use some somewhat strange metaphors, and I'm a football fan, so when I get with a couple like this who they're who one or both of them really dodge the idea of saying what they want or what they expect, I'll say it's kind of like you're watching a football game, but one or both of the football teams never line up on the scrimmage line. They wander around the football field. Well, you can't have a game, right? You can't accurately assess the position of the other person. So sometimes when someone in a relationship or both people in the relationship are avoiders, They won't say how they really feel or what they really want. Nothing ever really gets accomplished, and no intimacy is created. Okay, back to my email. 
The point about being in a relationship because your friends and family are happy that you're in it, not the best of reasons by far. Something has caused you to keep putting hurdles up so that you don't risk either feeling vulnerable or not being in charge. I definitely recommend therapy. Ask around and try to find someone who has a reputation for good work, meaning the people seen feel heard and they've been able to make some of the changes they've worked for. Of course, that takes opening up to someone that you're looking for a therapist, but you wrote me, so please let that be a first step. As I frequently say, I'm a therapist because I got good therapy. Now, why did I recommend therapy to this woman? I'll tell you why. I don't recommend it to everybody, but there is a pattern here, and this pattern's been going on for years. If she hadn't been in a, an intimate relationship since she was in high school and college, and we're not real sure how intimate that one was, I'm not talking about sexual intimacy, I'm talking about emotional intimacy, then that's a decade of time or more this woman has been wandering around. She may get up to the scrimmage line herself, but she's picking people that for whatever reason aren't available for the game. So when you have a pattern like that, it's something that you don't recognize. It's something that you either can't allow yourself to see or you won't allow yourself to see. And that's what a good therapist can do. They can help you see the pattern, how it got started, what's maintaining it, and how you can change it. That's why I thought this particular email was such a good one to share with you. Again, thank you for being on this podcast today, number 102. The email that I read was sent to AskDrMargaret at DrMargaretRutherford.com, and I'm getting more and more of those. I hope I don't get so many in some ways that I can't answer you, but I'll do my best. And certainly on certain days where I'm sitting around or something, I, I will get to your email. So I don't want to dissuade anybody from writing me. I just want you to know there are more of them coming in, so it may take me a little bit longer to get to yours. There are plenty of other ways to connect with me. My website is drmargaretrutherford.com. You can subscribe there and get a weekly newsletter with both my weekly blog post and my weekly podcast. And I promise no other things. Maybe a holiday greeting or something, but that's it. I'm on Instagram. I'm on Pinterest. Again, both of those are Dr. Margaret Rutherford. And there's a fairly new way to be involved with me. I've started a Facebook group. You can reach it at facebook.com slash groups slash self-work. We've got nearly 400 members now, and there's some really good discussion that goes on. You can post something you're interested in. I post a couple of times, two or three times a week. So it really lends itself to good discussion. I'd love to have you join. And again, please subscribe wherever you listen. That lets me know that you really are looking forward to the next podcast. And that's a huge motivation for me. Leave ratings and reviews wherever you are. And of course, the best way you can help me out and help self-work out is to tell people that you're listening. Just word of mouth is fine with me. After all, I'm from Arkansas, right? <laughs> so thank you for being here. Take very good care. I'm Dr. Margaret, and this has been Self-Work.